0: Good morning, we're grateful for your presence today. I want to apologize for the quality of my voice. It's not where I want it to be. I think it's better than it was last week, but that's probably not saying a whole lot. But anyway, I hope that you will bear with me this morning. I'll do my best to get through the lesson. Appreciate so much your presence. We're grateful for the songs that we've been privileged to sing, the song that we sang a moment ago, Sing and Be Happy. I want to begin today by saying that the Christian life, as you well know, is the best life, and it is the blessed life. And there are a lot of folks in our world today that haven't come to the realization that the best way to live is to live for Christ, and to live in Christ. And in the book of Philippians, Paul, in this great letter, stresses the joy that we have in Christ. If anybody on earth ought to be grateful and joyful in life, it ought to be a Christian. We have so much to be grateful for, and we ought to live in joy. And sadly, sometimes the devil robs us of the joy that we ought to have in Christ. And so rather than living in a state of joy and happiness, contentment, we live quite the opposite. And so I want to call your attention to Philippians chapter 4, the passage that was read a moment ago, and we're really going to look at several verses in chapter 4 (coughs) as we think about some reasons to rejoice in the Lord. And I want to begin by, first of all, saying that we ought to rejoice in our substance in the Lord. In verse 1, Paul said, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast, in the Lord, beloved, I implore you, Odia, and I implore Syntyche to be the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women also who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. I want to give you some ironclad reasons why we ought to rejoice in our substance in this life, and in particular, in particular, in the Lord. In verses 1 through 3, Paul isolates reason number one, and that is we ought to rejoice in the promise that we have in the Lord, and that is that our names are in the book of life. Do you remember back in Luke chapter 10 when Jesus is recorded as saying to the apostles, Rejoice because your names are written in the book of life. In Hebrews chapter 12, in verse 23, the writer addresses the general assembly and church of the firstborn. And then he said, Whose names are registered in heaven? Did you know that God has your name recorded? in the Lamb's book of life, if you're one of His children. In Revelation chapter 20, Jesus is pictured as sitting upon the throne, and of course the Lord's going to one day judge us. And John said, I saw the dead, the small and great, standing before the throne. And he said, the books were opened. And then he said, another book was opened, which is the book of life. And so every child of God who is faithful to his cause, the promise is our names are recorded in that great book. And to know that if you're a Christian today, that your name is there. And nobody can take that from you. Nobody can remove your name from the Lamb's book of life. There's a second reason why we ought to rejoice. First, we rejoice in our promise in the Lord. But then secondly, rejoice in the presence of the Lord. In verse 4, Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now you have to bear in mind that Paul is writing from a Roman prison. And the time is about AD 61 or 62, and this is one of three, or rather one of four prison epistles. And Paul is chained to a Roman guard, and they were rotating those guards every four to six hours. And so Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, and he's saying, Look, I want you to rejoice, and I want you to rejoice always. And then look at verse 5. Let your gentleness or graciousness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. What Paul is saying here is that the Lord is by our side. Don't you think that that afforded the Apostle Paul a great deal of comfort? To know that even though he might be isolated from people that were very close to him, he could rest in the assurance that God was near and that God is always by his people. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 13, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You can take that to the bank. You can rest in the promise that God will never leave your side. Wherever you may be in life, the Lord is there. In Psalm 139, the psalmist talks about the omnipresence of God and His omniscience, the fact that He is ever-present and all-knowing. And he said, You know my, you know, when I sit down, you know when I rise up. He said, You're acquainted with with my thought from afar. He said, There's not a word on my tongue, but lo, O Lord, you know it altogether. And so you think about wherever you are in life, God knows where you are, and God knows what you're thinking, doesn't he? When Paul wrote to Timothy and 2 Timothy chapter 4, and this would be some six years after he penned this epistle. Paul could say, at my first defense, no man stood with me, all men forsook me. He said, I pray God that it won't be laid to their charge. But he said, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. So again, Paul, recognizing that God not only stood by him, but stood with him. There's a third, I think, great promise here, a great reason why we ought to rejoice. We rejoice in the promise that we have from the Lord. We rejoice in the presence of the Lord, and we rejoice in our prayers to the Lord. To know that when we pray to God in heaven, that He hears us. You think about the very creator of the world in which we live that this Creator has the time to listen to our prayers. Sometimes we talk about people that have important positions in the world in which we live. Some have so much responsibility, they don't have time to deal with everyone, to know that God, the Creator and Sustainer of this universe, has the time to listen to our prayers. Peter said, The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open unto their prayers. Now, listen to what he says in verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. That's quite a statement, isn't it? Really, all he's saying is, don't worry about anything. That typically hits home, doesn't it? And you think about things that we worry about in life. Could I ask you a question today? When it comes to worry, what do you find yourself worrying most about? The past, the present, or the future? What do you worry about? Do you worry about the past? You can't change the past, can you? Do you worry about the future? Can you control the future? No. Remember in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, Jesus said, Take no thought for the morrow. I think really what He was saying is, look, You have all you can take care of today. So what we need to do is isolate the day, the time. In other words, live in the moment. Live every day, one day at a time. So in verse 6, be anxious for nothing. But then, listen to him, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known. Unto God, is there anything that that we can't pray to God about? Not one thing. Whatever is on your mind, whatever is on your heart, whatever burden, anxiety, whatever problem you may be wrestling with in life, the assurance is you can go to God in heaven and number one, He will hear you and number two, the assurance is He's going to be there to help, isn't He? As Peter said, cast all your care on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. And so, Paul here is saying, look, you can rejoice because you have the privilege of prayer. Prayer is one of the great spiritual blessings afforded every child of God. And Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 that every spiritual blessing known to man is in Christ. And so we talk about being rich people. We're rich. We're rich in Christ. Because we have so much to be grateful for. And so in this context, Paul is saying, look, you have a reason to rejoice. And that reason is because there is a God in heaven who cares about you, who loves you, and who is willing to listen to your prayers and be actively involved in your life. And so I guess the question is, do you want God to be a part of your life on a daily basis? There is a fourth Reason why we ought to rejoice in our substance. And that is, Paul says we ought to rejoice in our peace in the Lord. Look at verse 7. Paul said, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The word guard there is a military term. And you think about the Lord God standing guard in your life. If you're a child of God, what Paul is saying is you enjoy the peace that passes all understanding. You have God's peace at work in your life. Are there times in life when the waters get rocky and life gets tough? Are there times in life when we are stressed out, maxed out, we have trials, tribulations, temptations, anxieties, worries? Yes. What Paul is saying is We have God, standing guard, and thus we enjoy His peace. So, Paul said, rejoice in your substance in the Lord. There's a second reason why we ought to rejoice. Paul says we ought to rejoice in our situation in life. In other words, rejoice in whatever lot you find yourself in this life. So listen to him in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Let me just begin by talking about the development of contentment. How is contentment developed in the life of a Christian? I think Paul tells us here. It is what we might call an educational process. That would be the first point. Listen again to verse 11. Paul said, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Look at verse 12. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. Paul's saying, look, there's some things that I have had to learn in this life. Is it possible for us to learn contentment through education yes well how so paul teaches us in first timothy chapter 6 paul said godliness with contentment is great gain we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out but having food and clothing with these we shall be content paul is simply saying look the key to contentment is not in what you might think things, wealth, prosperity, riches. He talks about those who are minded to be rich fall into a temptation and snare and many foolish and hurtful lust, which he said drown men in destruction and perdition. Do you remember the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 5? Solomon makes a statement about contentment and money. He said... He who loves silver, listen to him, will not be satisfied with silver. In other words, if you think materialism is going to make you happy, it's going to bring contentment, satisfaction to your life, you are sadly mistaken. That's what Paul's saying, isn't he? So, from an educational standpoint, we look at the scriptures can we learn? Yes, we can learn. So, first, The development of contentment and then the demonstration of contentment. I said that we can learn contentment through education, but we can also learn contentment through experience. I want you to listen again to what Paul says in verses 11 and 12. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. He said, I know how to be abased, I know how to abound everywhere, and in all things I have learned, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Okay, Paul, what are you saying here? Paul is saying that through experience, he's learned contentment, hasn't he? In other words, there are some things that we can experience in life that can quite literally shake our world. But as a child of God, the external things of life don't necessarily dictate that internal contentment that we have in Christ. So there are a couple of passages I would share with you. In Acts chapter 16, you remember when Paul and Silas, where were they? In Philippi. And the Bible tells us that they had been beaten and placed in stocks in prison. I can only imagine how much they must have hurt, physically speaking. These guys have been beaten, thrown into a Roman prison cell, and yet the Bible says at midnight, what were they doing? They prayed and sang praises to God. So here's an example of Paul learning contentment where? In prison, tough times. Let me give you another verse. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, in verse 10, rather. There's a passage of Scripture that to me is quite amazing. Paul said, as sorrowing. Now listen to him. Yet always rejoicing. Now think about that. He said, we're in sorrow, but we're always rejoicing. Do you think the Apostle Paul learned the key to contentment in life? I think the answer is yes. But how did he learn it? Through education and through experience. The bottom line is, that's how we learn. You know, there are some things you just can't learn in a textbook. There are a lot of things that we can learn in a textbook. But there's a lot to be said for learning as we go, learning in life. Now, there's a third point I want to share with you. We talk about rejoicing in our substance in the Lord, rejoicing in our situation in the Lord, and then rejoicing in our strength in the Lord. Listen now to what Paul says in verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. First, Paul speaks of his confidence in Christ. Are you confident in Christ? I want you to listen to what Paul said. Look at how he frames this sentence. I can. Not I can't, but I can Are you an optimist or a pessimist? How do you view life? Are you an optimist? Always looking for the good, the brighter side of life, or are you a pessimist? And all you see is the gloom and the doom and the bad news. Well, from my standpoint, Paul was an optimist. I want to share with you a passage. I want you to turn there because if you don't have it marked, I would encourage you to mark it in your Bible. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And listen to what Paul says in writing to the church at Corinth. And we talk about Paul the optimist. And here's Paul saying, I can. That's optimism. That's positive. So he said, we're hard-pressed on every side. In other words, as we would say, we're in a pickle. Life's tough. He said, we're hard-pressed on every side, yet we're not crushed. And then he said, we are perplexed. But now listen to what he says, yet not in despair. Are there times in life when you feel like forces are coming at you from every side, and you feel like you're being crushed, so to speak? That's how Paul felt. He said, Look, I've got people, I've got things coming at me from every direction. But he said, I'm not crushed. He said, We're perplexed. Do you ever find yourself perplexed about life, about what's going on in your life, about the circumstances that you're dealing with on a daily basis? Sure, why? Because you're a human being. Paul here is saying, Look, we're perplexed, but listen to him. He said, We're not in despair. We're not in despair. I know it may look bad, and it may seem like things aren't working out for the good, but we're not in despair. Now listen to what he says. Persecuted. All right, we're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. What was it Paul had said back in Philippians chapter 4, verse 5? The Lord is at hand, the Lord is ever-present. Paul can say, look, we may be persecuted and things may be tough, and I may not necessarily understand everything that's going on in my life, but I know this: I have not been forsaken. And then listen to what he says, "We have been struck down. You ever seen guys boxing? and one of the guys will land a solid blow to the face. And boom. The guy hits the floor. And then... The next thing you know, he's making his way back up to his feet. Paul said, we are struck down, but we're not destroyed. That is an optimist. That's somebody who says, I can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So go back again and look at Philippians chapter 4. First, we think about his confidence in Christ and then his conquest in Christ. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ. That's the source of his strength, isn't it? Paul is saying, look, if you want to know what the source is of strength in my life, how I make it day by day, how I'm able to go on and fight on, here it is. It's Christ. And so, he is the source of my strength, and he is the supplier of my strength. I can do all things through Christ. Who strengthens me. Look at verse 19. And my God. That's personal, isn't it? Paul didn't say your God. He said my God. He said my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. How rich is the Lord? You remember what the psalmist said? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything belongs to God. When we, when we think about rich and we talk about people who are Batman rich, let me tell you, God is rich. And Paul is saying that my God shall supply all, all of your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So I want to ask you a question. As a Christian, do we have viable reasons verifiable reasons why we ought to live in joy you know what the answer is yes yes don't let the devil steal your joy don't let the devil turn you in to a cynic don't let the devil turn you into somebody who's critical about everything and anything but recognize that as a child of God, there are some reasons why we ought to rejoice in the Lord. When it's all said and done, when life is over, guess what? The Bible says we have a home with God in heaven. Paul would say in Philippians 1:21, To live is Christ, to die is gain. To depart and be with Christ, he says, far better. Paul understood that there was something very special waiting for him on the other side. So today, if you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to think about becoming a child of God to realize that the best life, the blessed life, look, is only in Christ. I can tell you, it's only in Christ. So what would you need to do? Well, you need to believe Jesus is the Son of God, John 8, 24, and then turn from a life of sin through repentance, Luke 13, 3. Confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, that Jesus is the Son of God, and then be immersed in water so that all your sins can be washed away. When you do that, God, Not only forgives you of all sin, but He puts you in the church. And then just be faithful. The promise is the crown of life. If you're here today, and maybe for whatever reason you've gone back into the world, and you're not living in joy because you're not in Christ, you're not living like you ought to, look, you can come home. You can be back among God's faithful people. Before we leave here today, why not come home? Why not come back? Let us pray with you and for you, and God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.